can't get the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico Excellent. They are a bit long, John, for you. Um, let's talk now to uh, our good friend uh, John Bonifilio uh, there in Mexico with uh, the latest from uh, Latin America. Uh, we know that where you are, John, um, boxing is um, an obsession, really. It's uh, hugely popular. Now, we were talking about that fight um, by uh, the Cuban, Ugas. Um, he's, you guys has beaten, uh, Manny Pacquiao, uh, last weekend. So what does that mean for the future? I mean, what's, uh, you know, what's, what fights can we look forward to? I think it means, um, two things. I guess one thing for each fighter in advance of, uh, very possibly, uh, a rematch. I didn't even say good evening to you, Martin. Good oh yeah, I'm sorry. Very good evening. It was my fault. I didn't say. <laughs> bypass, I, bypass I, the pleasantries. Yeah, pass no pleasantries tonight. We're that busy. Um, but a very good <laughs> um, evening to you, and thanks for joining no, sorry. us. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, so Ulgas has suddenly, with with one fight, moved up from being a journeyman fighter to to somebody who can hold box office and who's going to be remembered. And for Manny Pacquiao, the question is, does he does he give up and go for? Uh, the presidency of the Philippines and various other you know, parallel lifestyles, or does he actually go back in the ring and take uh, take Ulgas on? Um, he he left as boxers always do in the immediate aftermath of a of a bout. He left the path open, didn't commit himself either way. But I guess the smart money, especially if you listen to uh, Pacquiao being so disappointed at losing to Ulgas, who he said he should have, yeah, he was one of his easiest opponents in history. He doesn't understand how he was defeated by him in what was a unanimous points decision. So it looks as though we can look forward to a rematch in January, which will for sure be box office because nobody expected to happen what happened last uh, last Saturday. So if they do um, bring it back on, then for sure it's going to it's going to bring some money into into both their pockets. An interesting postscript to the fight is that at the end of the fight, Ugas looked straight into the camera and declared that he was doing it for Cuba. Patria y vida, he called, and not which is fatherland and life, which is the call of the recent yeah. um, demonstrations in Cuba. Uh, so very much in a Cuban context, he was calling out to the people who've been demonstrating there recently and saying that he's he's on their side. He was actually he's a he lives in Miami now. He fled Cuba in around 2010 after six failed attempts and being imprisoned for a number of times, and then finally on the seventh attempt, uh, actually managed to get away. So he's one of the more vocal of a very vocal Cuban diaspora in Miami. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about it in the past. The other thing, I'm just uh, I'm just going to throw this one in because I'm just looking at pictures uh, on uh, our screens uh, here. It's uh, a sort of growing crisis in Haiti, isn't it, with the uh, with the earthquake and the uh, uh, and the storm uh, and everything. And it's uh, you know. I'm just seeing pictures of people sleeping uh, on the streets and everything. Uh, that's not uh, that situation is is is, so, is getting worse. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I know it's past now, but um, it's caused all sorts of uh, well homelessness and, and other problems. For sure, for sure, and and actually, even though the earthquake and Hurricane Grace have passed the island, uh, you can actually look back to the the hurricane. Sorry, the 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 earthquake in 2010, and actually say that the after effects of that earthquake are still being felt, whether it's to do with the cholera that the aid workers brought in, whether it was to do with um, sexual abuse that was 
undertaken by those same aid workers, whether it was to do with fallen buildings, weakened buildings, um, uh, numbers of, of dead and so on. Uh, one in 50 of the population died in the 2010 earthquake. And for sure, that's still being felt. So anything that happens after that is then, if you like, an aftershock. It's not an earthquake aftershock, but it continues to to damage the a country which was already in, you know, existing in fairly dire straits. And not that long ago, as we've spoken about on your program as well, their president was assassinated. So there's also something yeah. of a power vacuum there in terms of, uh, you, you know, how, how uh, the authorities on the ground, which have never been best served uh, on a good day, deal with uh, another significant crisis on the island. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's an interesting one. Um, El Salvador is, uh, this is good news for our producer, Jed, because uh, El Salvador is adopting uh, Bitcoin as, uh, yes, as a a (laughs) currency there. I mean, is is this, do you think, the start of something? Will will other South American countries follow El Salvador, do you think, in um, adopting Bitcoin? Well, put it this way, everybody is very much watching what's going to take place uh, because it, it all comes in officially as legal tender, the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender uh, in September. And if Jed chooses to go on holiday to El Salvador, as I've been urging him to, he can actually <laughs> withdraw at one of 200 Bitcoin ATMs, uh, cash point machines, currently being stalled in, in the country. So uh, very much not being done by, by halves and all that the World Bank has actually uh, given it a no-no in terms of uh, support, there's a number of other banks, uh, more regional banks, in particular the Central American Bank for Economic Integration, which has actually been assisting El Salvador with disseminating, um, integrating Bitcoin, if you like, into uh, into the modus operandi of the financial uh, systems. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of other countries are watching this is because a lot of countries in uh, in Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, etc., actually share similar problematics uh, to, to El Salvador, there's a significantly poor population. They're largely dependent on uh, on remittances, on money being sent back from, in particular, the uh, the US, but Europe and Canada to to some extent. And how that money gets back tends to cost the country and individuals from the country um, a lot of money. And also, a lot of people in the country are what's often termed as being underbanked uh, or unbanked. There's a very little uptake in traditional banking systems. So it's not as though those people have to be convinced to leave their bank accounts behind. They just don't have them. So it's offering them a, a new alternative in terms of getting involved uh, with with official systems and uh, and so on. So, yeah, everybody is very much waiting to see what, what takes place in El Salvador. And not just, I think, Central America. I think realistically, probably the rest of the world is quietly looking on pretending not to be particular, particularly interested uh, in this in this yeah. economic experiment. Uh, but yeah, for sure, look, if it's, it's going to go one of two ways and whichever way, whichever one of those two ways it goes is going to significantly affect other countries' decisions in the not too distant future. Yes, well, there's certainly one um, one investor sitting in a, a desirable postcode importantly <laughs> filed uh, who's uh, who's watching it with great interest. Uh, well, it's all up, it's all up at the moment. So mm-hmm. so in its sort of you know prop when we had the problems with Bitcoin mm-hmm. when Elon Musk went nah That's we're not going to sure. bother with it anymore <laughs> it literally went through the floor and yeah I, it, I lost about. I want to say 200 odd sort of pounds on my investments mm. and then now um it's crept it's crept right back up to 
were nearly at the similar le- were nearly at a similar level. Yeah. Um, we're still down from when I invested in it, but it's it's creeping up. So you can yeah. tell there's there can tell there's movement, yeah. which is good. Well, oh, yeah. El Salvador. And- and for sure, the thing about that's important to, to recognize in Latin America is that there is a great distrust in traditional systems, whether that's political systems or whether that's banking systems or officialdom in any way. So I fully recognize that in some more in some other countries where there's more of an established banking system and political system and so on, that, that it takes a bit more of a of a mental risk and intellectual emotional risk to step out into the cryptocurrency world but that's definitely not the case culturally in latin america here people are ripe and ready for these alternative systems yeah and another bit of business news is that uh, global investors are um are flocking to uh, latin american startups what was that all about yeah, and actually for a lot of the same reasons that we've just that we've just spoken about. So traditionally, and actually over the course of the last the first half of 2021, uh, investment in startups in Latin America was double over six billion what it was for the first half of of last year. And, and traditionally, when we look when we think of startups, we they're synonymous with disruption, you know, breaking down um, and reimagining existing systems, uh, streamlining them, and so on. And then, um, like I guess your, your classics would be an Uber, Airbnb that. For sure, they're not startups anymore, but once upon a time they were, and they completely reimagined the systems within the sectors that they operate. But in Latin America, it's being regarded more about inclusion. Again, going back to what we said a minute ago about the underbanked and the unbanked. So in particular, you've got uh, a number of different, I guess, kind of startups that are that are looking at that and not just in terms of making money for themselves, uh, obviously, which is preeminent with these things, but also about getting a vast swathe of the population that are currently not engaged in these systems for reasons we just spoke about just now and getting them included. So, mm. you know, classic would be this, this uh, not very cleverly named bank called New Bank, which uh, cuts through all of the paperwork, which Latin America is very heavy with and encourages people without any ID or any previous ex- experience of banking to just get involved and, um, and open their bank account online. And that's the other thing which is also important to say with Latin America is that it has a really strong digital penetration. So despite the fact that uh, people are maybe not you know, as wealthy as uh, uh, as they are in, in other countries, uh, everybody has a mobile phone. Everybody is online. And yeah. so that is a way in which people can actually access uh, access these things as well. So really, in, in, uh, and, and with the pandemic as well, you've also got incredibly, as of two years ago, incredibly rapid e-commerce growth um, as well. So all of those factors mean that uh, the world's eyes really are beginning to look at startups uh, in, in Latin America, and there's hyper investment taking place, in particular in Mexico and Brazil. But really, it's it's much more regional than that. It's, it's right across the uh, right across the sector and right across uh, the continent. Yeah, I think that it's very similar to India in terms of you know the digital connection. You know, it's the same thing. Everybody has a has a mobile phone, and they you know digitally, even though it's still the third world to an extent. I mean, digitally ahead of us really in many ways and it seems to be you know latin america is pretty much the same as that yeah but very much the, the classic story would be uh if you look at africa how people say that africa uh, basically bypassed the landline and moved into straight into mobile mobile phones yeah. that's not quite happened here but for sure the, the mobile phone reach and actually in in again uh, in countries which are not affluent by any means actually being online is is relatively affordable so it's not as though people um socially uh, or in the class context have been priced out of um, the the ether world and so they're very much able to access way easier for people to access banking or bitcoin 
through their phone here uh, in, in every sense than it is for them to go and queue up in a bank and be asked for 17 different kinds of uh, identification that uh, with any, you know, that yeah. have been taken out yesterday. Exactly. Um, as always, John, thanks uh, ever so much. Um, it won't be me, me next week, but I'm sure we'll still be uh, talking to you. I'll be back the week after. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, all the best, uh, John, and thanks for joining us. No problem. Take care. There we go. Top man John Bonfilio joining us from, uh, from Mexico.